You're listening to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast with me, an old boy, Ollie Gill. Over this series, we'll highlight the weird and the wonderful and some of the great stories from fellow Hutchins Old Boys that you might not be across. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast with me, Ollie Gill. Cannot wait for this week's edition. We are speaking to, of course, Jesse O'Hara, graduate of 2005. He's lived a full life already with a huge amount of different jobs, places he's lived in and enriching experiences. Jesse, welcome to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. Ollie, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me, mate. Now, rumour has it, you're a bit of a podcast listener. I don't want to say avid listener, but possibly. What have you made of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast so far? Mate, I've been on it for, I would say, a couple of months now. I guess COVID really got me deeper into my podcast, but I found this one and definitely an avid listener. I guess over the last few years, I've steered away from the traditional radio stations and been on the podcast train and happy to find this station right now. Oh, good man. Absolutely love it. Well, I'm thoroughly looking forward to, to the episode today. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, we we like to, to highlight the weird and the wonderful, some of the great stories, uh, either in the, the career field or, or just in the life field, uh, as we like to say. So, Jesse, you in particular, you've... Uh, Lived all over the place through through Asia, North America, had somewhat of upwards of 18 jobs before you found your career today. I mean, geez, there are a few adventures mixed between those, I would have thought. Yeah, and I guess that stemmed all from my final year at Hutchins, which is really a turning point. We had a gap program. I'm not sure if they still run it, but they used to encourage year 12 leavers to go on an organized gap year where you could basically go work at a school overseas. So we had partners in USA, in South Africa, in England, and I got posted to Thailand with another Hutchins boy, Hutchins Lever. And really, that was an opportunity that I was really thankful for and really set me up for a a few years of adventure and a lot of life experience after that. So really appreciative of that opportunity and it did start in year 12. So yeah. Oh, that's fantastic! What a yeah, that that's that's great. Especially you know, we've we've got so many opportunities uh, at Hutchins, but growing up in Tasmania, you know, we are slightly disconnected. You know, we are quite far away from you know certainly the other side of the world. It seems like a million miles away. So it's so great to hear that there was able to be that transition period for you. But Jesse, we normally save this question right to the end. But my careers counsellor, uh, when I was at school, said to me, uh, Miss Malarski said, the job that you'll do uh, doesn't exist yet. And I very much feel like that for me has happened. Given your sort of CV, is that the way that you were kind of approaching life for, for a while there? That's right. And it kind of paints a picture of where I am right now and the experiences that, you know, from my same conversations with the career counsellor and that optimistic outlook on my career from the get-go has really put me in a place now where I've been given a uh, project to manage or to conceive where I'll be creating a, you know, a brand new North Queensland sporting academy that doesn't exist right now, but kind of shows that there are jobs of the future that need to be created. And I think the preparation that I've been given in life so far has put me in a position where they've said, all right, you're the man to, to lead this project and make it happen. So It's a great way to live life. You know, you just need to be open to all opportunities. So I suppose that stems from uh, the year that you left, 2005. Paint me a word picture. What was Jesse looking like? What was he doing? What was he thinking? What was he hoping to do with his life? Well, I guess if, if you think what we're looking at, it's pretty, pretty funny actually, because back in probably 2004, 2005, there was a 
British cricketer called uh, Kevin Peterson. He's still mm. in the media scene, but he, he was sporting a funky mullet skunk kind of peroxide look, which was all the rage back when I was in year 11 and 12, although we weren't allowed to dye our hair. But we the boys were sporting these fluffy little mullets, which have come forward round circle I think yeah. even in 2020 they've taken off even more so uh, that was pretty yeah, pretty funny to see that that come back into fashion and uh, come round and about my dad never lost his from the 70s but that's kind that's of fair. what I was looking like but as far as the you know the painting a picture of what school looked like back then it was a place where people could try a lot of different activities a lot of different sports a lot of different um, pursuit instruments music I, I was put through the choir, put through guitar, put through trombone, put put through drums. I never took up music, but all those opportunities were put in front of me, which was good to try. We even did plays and drama, and I, I believe the art scene has really taken off at Hutchins, which is great to see, and the sporting culture and opportunities there as strong as ever, which is something I really remember and really enjoyed, but also the opportunities to become a leader and, and put yourself out there and do different things. I, I was fortunate enough to take up a few of those opportunities. I found it very difficult at the time and challenging, but I think those challenging leadership opportunities at school really did put put you out there and made you sort of have a bit of reflection on my own self and work on getting better at things. And that's a, a life lesson that's been really valuable for me. So the holistic experience of, of that time was very, very beneficial for me. What did you find a struggle you touched on there? What, what, was, what was hard for you in that environment? It was more of a challenge. So they, not necessarily putting a struggle on you, but putting you in a position to challenge yourself. So it's a growth opportunity. And I found it challenging to be asked to, you know, speak in front of assembly or organize an event or rally, you know, a, gr- a working group together as a, a young you know, school leader. And those skills involved, I found it quite challenging. and. But in hindsight, I saw that as an opportunity too to really better myself. And now working in in a management role and a leadership role in my current job, that's a journey that's continued. I mean, I still, you know, find it important to challenge myself. But I do remember the penny dropping in year eleven or twelve, or saying, "Well, it's not something that's easy, but it's it's something that's worthwhile, and it's an opportunity to grow as a person." Yeah, absolutely. So with your gap year, was it considered a traditional gap year in the sense that you were going to do it, then come back to Tassie or go somewhere else and and sort of start your life up, whether it be in the the career field or university or TAFE or wherever it might have been? Was it like that or was it very much a let's just see where the wind takes me? I think it was packaged as a one-year deal, like give give yourself 12 months to live in a structured environment, working at a school and volunteering and coaching and being a productive member of a, a different country's schooling system. But I think the idea was always really for people to come back and go to uni or start their apprenticeship. But for me, I wasn't quite ready to make that commitment after 12 months. I've, I found it really opened up my questions more about what the world was like and what I wanted to do. And I met people as well. I met people along the way that really uh, provided some inspiration for me to continue searching and traveling. I, I worked in, you know, as you said earlier, multiple countries after that. I think my gap year turned into a three-year gap year, which was, wasn't planned at all when I was leaving Hutchins. It was seen for me as just a year to 
structured year and environment overseas and come back and start uni. But it turned into about three years before I ended up coming back to Australia. But that was good because it wasn't something that could really be planned in that respect because it was really me just living my life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'd be interested to know about, did you have any pressure from people either, uh, like mates you were still friendly with from school or family? Because one thing that I would say about growing up in going to school in a place like Hutchins is that sometimes you can feel like there's a pressure to maybe not necessarily go back to studying, but the idea of doing a three or four year gap year, I would have loved to have done, but I was, you know, sort of thinking to myself, is that what I'm supposed to do? Like, is that... Is, yeah, but yeah. as you said, you're just living life. You know, that's exactly. as, you sh- as you should. Did you feel any pressure to, to think, sort of steer the other way? I don't think the pressure was put on me from my friendship or schooling community. I think it was more of my interpretation. I think there was an expectation for for myself to go straight to uni, and um, I was more of academically inclined, and that was the route I chose to go, and I was looking to go. But yeah, I did feel I definitely had put a little bit of pressure on myself to do that. And then there were points along the, the, the journey where I nearly dropped out of that life experience and went back to uni just because I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. But there was other elements in my life which were steering me to continue to learn a little bit more about myself. But in now that I work back, I work back in the education sector here in North Queensland, it's really something that i preach and promote every day to the young people coming through our doors about, you know, you've got 45 years to forge your career in whatever you want to do. It really doesn't matter what you do or when you do it or what order you do it because end of the day, that's a long time to to work and to and to, to do different things. Plenty of time to do lots of different experiences. And I think that conversation has changed in Australia. I definitely think the, the go to uni straight away after school was, was something that's being carried on maybe through American culture and that, you know, strong affiliation with the universities. But I think that conversation has progressed a long way where people are allowed to find themselves in in their own way. Now, if there's one man who knows American culture very well, it's yourself, because I, I hear that you uh, once, I don't know if this was a job or whether or not you've just done this, but you went prospecting for gold on the Alaskan border. Is That's that right? <laughs> Yeah, how does that come about? It wasn't on a Discovery TV show or anything. It was okay. I was working in my gap year in Thailand. I met a couple of people in Canada, and I ended up moving to Canada shortly after my gap year. And I was living in a city called Toronto, which is quite a, mm-hmm. a big New York style metropolitan kind of place. And I was working three jobs at the time. I was working in a butcher shop, I was working at a bar, and I was working at a hotel, and living in a frat house. So kind of trying to make ends meet and I was working at the bar one day and this gentleman um, was having a chat to me and he's like, mate, or not mate, but in his Canadian, whatever that is, and said, do you want to get a real job? Because he could see that I was kind of just hanging around Toronto, not doing much. He says, come out west and I'll get you a job with my, my prospecting company. And within two weeks, I was on a plane and flying up to the north, northern parts of Canada right along the Alaskan border and we would fly in with helicopters and base ourselves at uh, mining camps and then every morning a chopper would drop me off along a ridge line on a mountain with a GPS and me and a little assistant would go around and dig little soil samples, put it in the bag and then 
and head off back in when the sun came down, we were in the chopper. One day, right near the end of the season, we got dropped off in a field and as soon as the helicopter left, we saw a grizzly bear cub hanging from a tree, which if you're not familiar with uh, American wildlife, that that's not a good sign. It means the mum's sort of parked him up there and she's she's out looking for berries and she won't be too far away. So we had to chop her in, uh, get the chopper right back in and take us back for the day. So early smoko that day, but it was <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. And just those little pivot points where you get an opportunity and you decide to take it. And I think that was really a – in year 12, I was listening to a band called Jebediah. I don't know if they're yes. still around, but they were – they were a big 90s band, but I think in, in year 12, I was quite into them and they had one song which said, make the most of opportunities because nothing's free. That was the, the chorus in it. And I kind of listened to that as a young kid does and you quite like your music. And I, I kind of took that as a bit of a mantra for those few years. And whenever those little opportunities came up, I made sure I said yes and, and did things like that. And, and that was uh, a fun little opportunity that I did say yes to. Absolutely. I mean, there's to, there's too much for me to dissect here. One is I'm slightly disappointed. It doesn't sound like you're prospecting like you would in Ballarat. Uh, no. you know, it's not like that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we did that for year six camp at Hutchins, I believe. Okay, okay. Like that. That's all right. That's uh, I'll pretend in my head. And the second one was: Did they at least teach you the difference between a brown and a black and a grizzly bear, or do you no, see they, and go, oh, God. Yeah, I think bear in general was frowned upon, so they didn't want to disseminate too much and they gave us a can of bear spray but apparently that was um not too effective against an angry grizzly bear anyway but no a little bit of deodorant no that yeah. would, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be questioning it so uh the other um uh, part of your life that i'm interested in is lifeguarding on the great barrier reef what is this for for tourists yeah so based in north queensland now but about 10 years ago i was passing through north queensland and the great barrier reef in some sections is, you know, 40, 50, 60 kilometres off the mainland of Australia. So it's quite a, a ways. You can barely see land when you're out there. That's a, that's a long stretch of water. And what they have is these huge floating pontoons, which are basically a small island where tourists can come for the day. And my job was to go out every morning and uh, be the lifeguard on that, that pontoon, which initially when I was at Hutchins, I was lifeguarding at the local Hobart Aquatic Centre as a bit of part-time work during year 11 and 12 and luckily kept those certificates somewhere stashed away so I was able to get this job for a short while and we would um, we would you know, rescue scuba divers or tourists that were in trouble off the off the pontoon and one time we got the opportunity to camp out there because the pontoon needed servicing so I, I volunteered to be a labourer for the week so we would camp out under the stars and spend the day repainting and servicing the pontoon and the boys stitched me up. I was probably only 19 then, but the boys stitched me up pretty good one night. They said, oh, Jesse, go for a scuba dive with our old mate. He'll take you for a night dive. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So going around the reef at night with with a little torch and old mate next to me. And then as we finish the dive and come back around towards the pontoon, the older staff there located on board started banging the sides of the metal thing so bang 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 and then started throwing in food scraps and we were kind of parked up underneath a a coral bommie and you see these huge black shadows just shooting across between the floodlights on the pontoon and i see that the 
the oxygen gauge started to creep pretty slowly then because I was Ooh. freaking out a bit. I've got to say, I the sharks are, yeah, I, there's no great whites up here, but still, mate, I, I don't, don't like the sight of a, a tiger shark or. No way. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you tell that story, I don't think a classic stitch up comes to mind. Uh, for me, it's what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but fair enough. But you are a good swimmer. You love your, you love your water because rumour has it as well. You've started Cairns first water polo site. Is that right? Yeah. So I've started up Kansas, which is unusual being a, a tropical oasis north of Brisbane. We've got the first water polo club up here in Cairns. And water yeah. polo is a sport. I started playing at Hutchins in year six and played right up until year 12 where I captained the premiership side for Hutchins. So I was involved quite a lot at school, but completely stopped playing as soon as I left Tasmania just because of what I was doing and it never really popped up again in my life. But when I was, I would have been 30 years old a few years ago and decided to start a water polo club in Cairns. So now, now I am president over there and we, we're now the largest club north of the Sunshine Coast and we compete at pretty good level across the state. We won a bronze medal recently at a statewide competition and, and I've really enjoyed bringing that passion back into my life of playing uh, community sport. That's brilliant. No, that's so good to hear. So, Jesse, when you're having a quiet drink to yourself either on the Alaskan border, in Thailand, in, in South Korea, and you're just having a bit of a time to yourself uh, and you think about your time growing up, you think about Hutchins, what do you think of? What comes to mind? when you're just having that moment to yourself? Oh, it's a positive thought for sure. It's definitely a time that I reminisce about and was very fortunate enough to have been given that opportunity to go there. And well, my brothers went there as well. And so I was very appreciative of my family for putting in that um, extra work to make sure that we could all go to Hutchins. And I would say it's a, an experience that I would, would recommend for my son if I was ever to have one and if I was to live in Hobart again. It's, it's it's not just a school, it, it just teaches a lot more than the educational pathways. It's, it's a lot about growing, as, you, as they say, growing young men or making good boys into good men. And the extracurricular stuff was something I really enjoyed. The opportunity to play a lot of sport, but do a lot of different activities that I would never actually normally do. You just get a mm. yeah, great, great holistic environment for, for young boys, I think. Now, some, some people would say that, you know, the, the way that you've lived your life since leaving school, you probably can't prepare for. Um, it's a real, you know, you learn on the job sort of experience. Do you feel like Hutchins prepared you at all for that or is, have you learnt yourself? I definitely think it has. I think Hutchins did, it gave you opportunities to, to really, for me at least, to do, like, for example, in year 12, it was during the Athens Olympics and there was handball competition on with European handball on the TV and we were like what the hell this is awesome and at school we we decided to create our own handball league so we would organize an inter, inter-house handball competition at lunchtime during the Olympics and that was just us as kids going let's do this and take yeah. take that initiative and and do that as as um as kids as group as a group and and I think that kind of is similar to how I started the water polo club I was like well yeah let's just do it I had that confidence and saying well if, if it's not happening we can be the ones to make it happen so that's a little anecdote about um about that that part of your question and just just finally Jesse I'd be fascinated to know I'm so impressed with with some of the adventures in life that you've you've kind of lived in. have you had any regrets with the slightly nomadic lifestyle that you've sort of created for yourself. Would you say to anyone listening, 
they might be in eleven year eleven or twelve. You know, is there a downside at all, or, or for you, is it was it all positive? No, I would say there's no downside at all. I think if the downside would be for people that who are considering travel, working overseas, or they're not really sure what they want to do, I see that's a downside if they just decide to go with the status quo. Really, just put yourself out there and 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 if you've got the rest of your life to work and and study, like what's one, what's two, what's three, what's five years, what's ten years? It's at the end of the day. If 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 you want to do stuff, you've just got to live your life. But I would say don't throw out those development opportunities too. Like take take that very seriously. But you'll be surprised about what if if you're willing to put yourself out there and do what you want to do with a positive attitude, you'll find that opportunities do come your way. But the negative would be if if you don't listen to yourself and you say, oh, well, I'll just do this because I feel like um, my parents are saying this or my mates are doing this. That's really the trap you can get stuck in. So that's, I think you'll put yourself in a way worse position if you do that. But if you have got a bit of imagination and you have a bit of vision, you want to do it, there's no risk, just do it. Like, um, that would be my advice to people on the fence. Lovely. And finally, are you a footy fan? Because um, we will be seeing a couple of the AFL sides going into their hubs in Cairns. Will you be going around with, with uh, your phone trying to get a photo? Yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, we're lucky. We're getting four, at least four games up here in Cairns. And for a town with 130,000 people, we're a lot smaller than Hobart. We, we hardly yeah. ever see elite AFL especially in the rugby league heartland. So we're super excited up here. And there is a, a really strong AFL community here, um, both at a local and us blow-ins from interstate. But you'll see, you'll be seeing us on the hill in Cairns on TV uh, giving all our heart and joy because it's um, something we've been screaming for up here. Who do you go for? I'm a Hawthorne fan. Okay. Yeah. I like us. Well, not a great year for you, but, the, but we'll be, I'm sure we'll be back very, to, very soon. Won't take you long. Yeah, Jesse O'Hara, really appreciate your time here on the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. Keep living life, keep kicking goals, and until next time, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Ollie. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. Remember to keep your eye out on all your favourite podcatchers for the very next episode.